what they say in business and real estate generally is a small deal and a big deal are the same amount of work. It's the only thing that changes is the number of zeros. The good thing about real estate is that there's a lot of zeros, even on really small deals. <laughs> you know, you can buy a self-storage facility for 400 grand and operate it a lot better. And three or four years later, it can be worth a million dollars. That's life-changing money for almost everybody. What is up, you sexy bastard? It is your boy, Pushups, aka Rabbi Can Lose, aka Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talked to Nick Huber, the founder of The Sweaty Startup. Nick sold his first storage business, Storage God, for seven figures. Now he owns and operates Bolt Storage, which has 42 different self-storage facilities, and I think they've put out over 100 million in self-storage. Now for me, self-storage is the devil. I'll just say, I don't know if, I think people have way too much junk. And I asked Nick about that and a bunch of other things. And he had really, really great answers. And I was excited to share his story about how to run a business that may not be as sexy, which may be an advantage, and a bunch of other stuff. You can check out Nick Huber on Twitter, at Sweaty Startup. He's definitely provocative. Uh, so some of you might like the flavor and some of you may not. I, I was actually really enjoyed talking with him in person in this episode. And I hope you do too. You can also check him out at his website, sweatystartup.com. If you ever want to learn about the business opportunities in storage units and just non-tech related direct businesses, you're going to love this episode. Here's three gigantic things you're going to take away. One, why a lot of good businesses and relationships may not need innovation. Two, a deep dive into the business of self-storage and economics and how you can get started even if you don't have a lot of money. And three, Nick's exact playbook for how to replicate his success. Before we dive into the show, I have got to recommend a product that we have built at AppSumo.com. It is free to use. It is called TidyCal.com. Now, there's a lot of scheduling tools out there. This one is the freest, and I think it's the simplest. And if for, a, I think, 29 bucks, it's super affordable. For life, you can have the product. I mean, there's no subscriptions ever. And that'll enable you to have people pay you to schedule meetings with you, which is a great way to make money and build a freelancer agency business that we'll talk about in this kind of episode and a lot of others. So check that out at TidyCal.com. It's one of our most popular products at AppSumo. Also, if you want to launch your own business, but you don't know where to start, you need some help, you need to cook in the tuchus, I'm here to help you. We relaunched our course, Monthly 1K, for 10 bucks. It's helped thousands of people start their business journey, and I believe it'll help you too. Head over to okdork.com slash monthly 1K and sign up today. Also, a special pre-show shout out to listener Jane Hamill. What up, Jane? She left reviewing honesty and humor. What I appreciate most about this podcast is that Noah's not full of S-H at, can't say it. He gives it to us straight and does it in a way that makes us laugh out loud at least twice per episode. Damn, I like you, Jane. Thank you and every other one of you gorgeous listeners. It really means a lot. I'm glad you like the episodes. It takes action. It really improves your life. If you want to shout out in a future episode, leave a review wherever you listen to the show. Check every single one of them. How's life for Nick Huber? I'm laid up right now. I had a freak accident ankle injury. Other than that, life is good, man. I can't complain at all. It was kind of a humbling uh, experience that I needed. What happened? I was in the yoga studio, just got done with hot yoga, showered. And I was pulling a plastic bag out of a bag dispenser and the whole thing fell off the wall. It had a really sharp uh, edge on the bottom and it caught the top of my foot and severed my uh, abductor tendon on my big toe. Yeah, you're just pretty dangerous, they say, you know? No, man, I, I was running a chainsaw for three <laughs> days the week before and I get hurt during doing hot yoga. Does the ambulance come? What happened? There was blood squirting out. The yoga owner was there. My buddy was with me. He drove me to the hospital. They basically said, your tendon's severed. You need to have orthopedic surgery. Two days later, I had that. And that was Friday, two weeks ago. So I'm, I'm a week and a half out of surgery. And it's been worse than I thought, for sure. I thought, you know, it's just a surgery, just a toe. When they put those tendons back together, and it's right by the sciatic nerve, it was uh, painful. I've been telling people for years, yoga's not safe. <laughs> I love yoga. I love it. Uh, so a few things here. Why did you say you needed to be humbled? Because shit's going really well, man. I mean... Life all around has just been going really well. I feel very blessed. But then why do I have to be humble though? Why not? Why can't we just take that in? <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I feel like 
good luck is can only come so much, right? And every now and then somebody needs to have bad luck. And it wasn't my kids. It wasn't, you know, a car accident. It wasn't anything crazy. Just got to hop around for six weeks. So I'm just trying to embrace it. Yeah. I don't know. Like I have a buddy who's like, hey, things are going well. And guess what? It can even get better. Right. I think we have this mindset that like we come up a bit and then we got to come down a bit. And, and, and to be clear, I, I do think humble is generally a good thing. I'm not saying it's wrong. Just funny how our minds work. It is. It is. Yeah. I'm, it's honestly, it's just been a struggle because I'm a go, go, go kind of guy. I work out every day. I like to play golf and almost all my hobbies are like not in front of my computer. I tried playing video games and I was like, video games have not advanced as much as I thought they would have advanced because I haven't played them in like six years. It was kind of lame. It's been a little bit of a struggle. And also I told myself I wasn't going to do the pain meds, but I'm, I lasted like 24 hours post nerve block because it was just, it was so bad. Like it felt like a helicopter was wrapped around my nerve and my big foot. They gave me one of the oxys that's not as bad, right? The not time released one. And I took half of the recommended dose every eight hours instead of a full recommended dose every four hours. And I did that for four days to come off of it. I was in night sweats, anxiety, watery eyes, and restless leg syndrome to sleep. So that just shows you how wicked that crap is. That's crazy. You only took it a few times? Four days, half dose. I am interested. Have you learned any other insights since you licensed this experience? Yeah, the, the pain meds have, were just an eye-opening experience for me. Like that's a huge problem in America, people getting addicted to that crap. When I was on it, everything was in slow motion. Like I was talking to my business partner on the phone about a business deal that we were excited about. And I was listening to him, I was listening to him, I was listening to him. And then I was like, holy cow, it felt like a podcast on 3x speed and I couldn't keep up. My mind was slower. I hated that. I hated that. Just feeling like really slow mentally was just tough for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I've never taken any of that stuff. Knock on wood, maybe hopefully I never will. Yeah, I think you have a strong enough mind to stay away from it. But yeah, it's, I can see how people fall in, especially when they have a serious injury and you got to be on it for a month, right? Because you have to, or you're not going to be able to sleep or focus or do anything. So I feel bad for people who are in serious pain. I didn't have a lot of personal experience with any of that stuff and it, it woke me up. All right, well, I'm glad you're, you're healing. You're getting better. You're getting back probably out in the golf course soon. I don't need to be humbled. I, I've got I've got enough pie right now. Humble pie. I'm eating. What's going wrong for you? Not wrong. I'm just I'm working through relationships with females. Work stuff is great, actually. <laughs> like when people complain about things, it's like who's the denominator? <laughs> and then trying to trying to process that. So yeah, just process it myself. Have therapy. Have a relationship coach. It's been a little distracting, like waking up and. I'm like, dude, what's going on? Like, I, you know, I, I think a lot of people idolize probably someone like yourself as well, where they're like, you got a wife, you got your significant other, kids, you know, business going well. I think that's what I thought I was going to go towards. And then I'm like, I thought you wanted that. Why aren't you? Why aren't you going on that path? And then it's kind of making me reflect on uh, different things going on. My wife is unbelievable. I really got lucky when I found her and married her. But just relationships in general, it's half sacrifice, right? It's literally spending half your time doing things that aren't necessarily serving you, they're serving somebody else. That's really tough when for me, I'm, I'm a really intense person. I'm, if I want to work, I want to work 80 hours that week. If I want to get good at golf, I want to play golf 30 times that month. I'm really serious about unbalance. And when you come in to a relationship and you got to balance somebody else's wants, somebody else's needs, and then you start building a family with kids, the rewards are spectacular and having somebody in your corner is amazing. But yeah, it's, it's a totally new mindset than being single, doing what you want, when you want, how you want. Yeah. I think there's also partner selection. Like, did you have a feeling? That's the one thing I was trying to understand better is like how I'm feeling around these things. I do think in life, it's like, how am I feeling about this? And then kind of going towards that feeling or trusting the feeling. For me, it was logic. The feelings will ebb and flow. Like the emotions will be up. The emotions will be down. You'll be tired of somebody. You'll be excited about somebody. You just really need to think, okay, I really want to have a partner in life. 
I really need somebody that I can trust. This person checks those boxes. I've dated 10 plus people to know that this is a very high quality person. Let's get married and let's do this and let's start having kids because I want the kids and I want those things that come along with it. But yeah, the feelings will come and go. Like if there's many times where my wife's not excited about me and I'm not excited about my wife. <laughs> what keeps you going? I mean, the, the thought of being a 80 year old guy with a house full of grandkids and, you know, taking them out the day before to play golf. And then they're all at my house. They're all running around. I got good relationships with my son-in-laws and my sons and my daughters and my, you know, I don't know. I I look at everybody who's over the age of 50 years old or maybe 60 and all they care about is their kids and their grandkids. So like working towards the goal of building up good kids, raising good kids, getting them to be strong. I think the way that most people raise kids today is so bad that if you can do a good job at it, there's almost no way that you're kids aren't going to be able to live a happy life. Maybe they're not going to be super successful, but they're going to be able to be happy and resilient and like do well for themselves. And that's exciting to me. It's just exciting. As soon as you have kids, you feel like all of a sudden the world is bigger and the emotions are heightened and exaggerated and just makes you feel alive. Do you want kids or are you still trying to figure that out? Dude, I'm like 40, 41 almost. It's like, I don't know. I think so. Like I love kids. My brother's got a kid. Like I was like, yeah, this is what I want. Let's do it. And then I found a person that's like probably the best that I've ever seen to have that. And then I was like, nah, I don't know. I do think there's this thing that I probably do a lot, like most humans like change my mind or it's like, oh no, this is not enough. And it's like, dude, what is it enough? And I, that's the kind of just what I'm processing and trying to do process myself, process with a few other people and then make that call. I do think sometimes in life, honestly, it's better just to be like, make the call and, and don't be in limbo. I think the limbo moments is where shit gets like a little messy. Stress is an unmade decision. Yes. For me, at least, if I have decisions that I know I need to make, whether it's on a storage deal, or with an employee that either needs to be promoted or fired, or somebody in my life that wants something of me and the expectations aren't aligned and I need to make a call and I need to do something uncomfortable, it gets really stressful for me. And then when you're trying to make those decisions, when there's a lot of emotion and you're afraid or a little bit anxious or greedy, you know, if it's a deal, a business deal, then those things also make the decision even harder to make. So what's like the last tough decision or last really stressful you remember? The real estate business has been one big, giant, tough decision over the last year. We bought a lot of really good deals in 2020, 2021. We had a very clear vision. All we had to do was get aggressive, hire, block and tackle, do the deals. I had no second guessing in my mind about whether or not we should do the deals, how risky they were, whether they were bad deals. It was all aligning and I was able to just go and make those decisions with confidence. Over the last year, we have the team built, we have the resources, we have all these acquisitions guys. The deal environment has totally changed. The debt got way more expensive. Real estate is not performing as well. And now here I am with all these people, with this team, with this machine, with everybody who wants to invest the money to buy the deals. And the deals aren't really penciling. And every single deal I'm beating myself up over in my head. It's I'm, I'm, Sometimes I'm like, yes, we just need to buy the deal. The investors want the deal. There's no risk here. We can just do the deal. And, and the rest of me is saying, why am I going to pay this much money for this property in this town? It's not worth it. This is ridiculous. I'm going to step away. It's tough. Is this evaluating new deals or are you talking about the deals you already bought? Yeah, the new ones. We have a real estate private equity company, just a little bit about me. We buy self-storage. We operate it. I have 50 employees. We have almost 1.9 million square feet of self-storage. And we bought over $100 million of storage over the past eight years. And our machine is to find a self-storage facility worth buying, go out, make an offer to buy it, get it under contract, raise the money from investors, buy the deal, bring it into our management company, operate the property. That's our whole business. So once the property is bought and you're operating it, the decisions become easier. You're just running the business the best you can. It's a small business. You're blocking, you're tackling. But whether or not to buy the property and how much to pay for the property is kind of what I oversee inside the company at all times. And um, just as the real estate market changes, it's cyclical all the time. 
you don't know where it's going. You don't know how much risk. The debt's gotten twice as expensive, meaning interest rates on the money that we borrow from the bank has gone from you know three and a half percent to six and a half percent. That changes everything. And so, what's changed with you? We have bought half as much storage over the past year as we did the year before that, and we're investing three times the amount of money in deal flow and trying to find deals. <laughs> so. Everything was easy. We were buying, we were buying, we were offering, they were accepting, we were bringing it in, we were profitable. The deals were killing it. We were making our investors a bunch of money. We made ourselves a lot of money from 2000 to 2022. And now here we are where we have a better team, a bigger team, a more expensive team, and the deals aren't penciling. It's just made it a little bit stressful. The economics aren't what you need them to be to make it appealing? That's right. So let's say no as an investor with Bolt Storage Private Equity Company, right? You're going to give me $100,000. Two years ago, I could say, all right, no, you give me $100,000, I'm going to make you eight grand your first year, 8% on your money. And then we're going to make it 7%, you know, or 10% the next year and 12% the year after that. So you're going to give me your money and I'm going to find you a good yield. That's my job. My customers are people like Noah who want to invest money. I got to find them a good yield in the market. Now the deals are four and a half percent or 5% first year. So if you give me a hundred grand, I'm going to give you 4,500 or five grand year one. Well, you can find that in treasuries with no risk and you don't have to go buy real estate or trust me to do any work. So that's why my job gets harder. Walk me through the economics of a deal. Can you give me like a specific deal? In commercial real estate, it's all about net operating income. That's profit of a building. And a net operating income, let's just say we have a $1 million self-storage facility. That's right down the pipe for us. A year or two ago, we could buy a deal that was going to generate $70,000 of net operating income for every million dollars that we paid. 7%, that's a cap rate, unlevered yield. Well, the deals got a little worse and they were going down to, you know, you got to pay maybe a six cap, but you could borrow at a three, three and a half percent. Every dollar you borrowed at three and a half, you're generating a six and a half or 7% yield. There's spread there, and that's going to increase your cash on cash return of the money that you invest because half is debt, a million dollars, we're going to get $500,000 of debt, $500,000 of equity, meaning money from investors and our own money. So the more money you borrow, the better your cash on cash return on your equity. Well, when the interest rate goes to six and a half percent and you're paying principal and your debt's costing you 8% all in. That's called the debt constant. How much is your debt costing you? So if I borrow a million bucks, I'm spending eighty to eighty-five thousand dollars a year to service that debt. But the property, I just spent a million dollar on a property, and it's only generating sixty-five thousand dollars. The economics stop making sense, and the finance stops making sense. Let's just work through it. Like you would buy storage in, in these different towns, and then it would be at an eight percent cap rate, and your debt stuff is like three and a half percent. There's a little bit of nuance. We could turn it into an eight cap because we had some operational leverage that we could pull. We're running a small business, right? We're, we're renting units, we're raising rent, we're lowering rent, we're running marketing, lowering expenses. We hire a lot of people in the Philippines. But yeah, so back then we could buy a property and a year later, we'd be pretty confident that it was going to be at an, around an 8% cap rate, meaning every million dollars that we bought was going to generate about 80 grand of yield. Now, rents aren't going up. There's a lot more vacancy in the market as well. And the interest rates are higher. So the cash on cash return on some of the deals that we bought in the last six months has been lower. So what are you doing? I am an operator at heart. And so is my business partner, Dan. And so we are taking on some other business activities. I mean, we have a super, a really good team at Bolt Storage. I'm still involved a lot. And so is Dan, but we also have a ton of leverage through our networks and our employee base and the capital that we can raise. So we're taking on some other adventures and also the 30 million impressions a month on Twitter for me, helps me grow some of my side businesses as well. It is interesting, man. I have, um, I do some what is it? Apartment real estate? Multifamily. Yep. Multifamily. So there's a guy who I used to rent a parking spot from and I'm like, yo, you're super rich. How'd you get rich? He's like, well, I got rich in tech and now I do multifamily apartments. 
And generally what they do, which is at first I thought was kind of not so great, but I do, I've gotten more into it. They, they find really crappy ones in, in lower income areas, not like crazy low income, but like affordable, like Austin on the outskirts. And then they fix them up and then raise rents and then they increase occupancy. But it was funny, man. Like when times were good, he's like, dude, every, he'd be sending quarterly updates like, yo, we're crushing money. You're going to be so rich. I'm the greatest investor ever. And, da, da, da. and, and like, he wasn't like overly hyperbolic, but then now it's like, Hey, we might have to do a capital call. And I was like, where like, if you own equity in, in something, they can request you to put money, more money in. Yeah. The capital call is something that as a real estate sponsor doing my job, that is a huge no, no. I was curious. So what, what does this team of remote people look like? What's the, the cost of that? And how do you do that for a local, very physical business? Yeah. So do you know Marshall at Support Shepherd? Love that guy. I think around December of 2020, I hired my first employee through Shepherd. That's when that company was coming up. I hired my first rep through Marshall. What was the role? Customer service for my self-storage company. They're going to answer the phones. They're going to deal with customers. And I thought, you know, it was going to be just, all right, you press one if you want to pay your bill. We're going to get this employee to answer that call so that, you know, they can just collect payments all day. Same exact thing, something very simple. Fast forward to the interview time, Marshall's team at Support Shepherd went and found me three people. And I got on an interview to all three of them. I, you know, they, Support Shepherd built the job description for me. I was, I was very adamant that I needed to have Americans doing the sales. I get on with three individuals and I ended up hiring all three of the people inside the interview. Totally blew my mind. And you fast forward three months later, I had eight Filipinos on my team already, three months later. And they were doing everything from obviously collecting the billing, but they were doing customer service for people who were in these small town America areas looking for my storage facility. I'm at the Walmart. Where's your property? And and my folks were on the phone guiding them through, like telling them how to rent units. And they just blew my mind at their competence. And the fact that it was 10 grand a year instead of 60 grand a year made a huge difference as well. So we have people at AppSingle.com that are international too. They're great, great attitudes. And they're making good money out there relative to their peers. Me and Dan made a joke. We were in a call and we're like, dude, our foreign workforce is richer than us. (laughs) In terms of cost of living, it was a little bit of an exaggeration, but like, yeah, they're, they're doing really well. It's just a really special thing. So that was an amazing experience hiring those folks. Now we have over 25 at just Bolt Storage. We have several more at several of our other companies. But I went to Marshall a couple months later. and I'm like, dude, I want to be an affiliate to help you sell this service. I want to tweet about it. And I want to get a cut. This was in April of 2021 and made the first tweet in either April or May of 2021. And I think at that time, Shepard was doing about 50 grand a month, but they were growing really fast because their service was killer. You fast forward a year later, the company had 7X'd, 7X'd. Shepard had 7X'd in, in revenue and everything. They all of a sudden went to a huge company. And we're talking like 80 plus employees, you know, hundreds of placements a month. And I went to Marshall and I was like, dude, I want to be a partner inside this company. <laughs> but I went to him way too late uh, because the company was already massive. Long story short, I negotiated to where I own 15% of Support Shepard. And you fast forward to today and that company has 150 plus employees. And my 15% ownership stake will make me over $500,000 over the next 12 months. They're paying dividends on it? or how, in, It's in a multiple seven-figure profit company. Marshall's like just a good dude. He's like, there's certain dudes out there and, and dudettes that you're just like, I'm really, I'm happy you're winning. He's a good dude. He's got a great team and the service is freaking amazing. So it's like a, it's a win-win. I'm a customer. Now I'm an investor. But that stuff's exciting. Like using Twitter, and I was a small part of that growth. But I did have a lot of really viral tweet threads, you know, poking the woke mob about, you know, the $5 an hour Filipino labor. So Twitter really helped us grow. So now I'm on kind of a mission over the last six months where real estate is kind of in a really good spot and slower. Okay, what businesses can I personally launch off the back of 
you know, these 30 million eyeballs a month that I get on Twitter and, and the 40,000 people on my email newsletter, my uh, CPA, Mitchell Baldridge, me, him and my business partner started a cost segregation firm for real estate, which means like an engineering report to help investors see what they're going to save on taxes. Uh, we go in and draw a CAD drawing of the building and, you know, separate out the values of the windows and the values of the, of the floors, because all of that can be depreciated on different tax schedules. We do those studies for 1500 to five grand a pop. And that company is exploded. It's nine months old and it does 250 grand a month in revenue. What's the playbook here that others can replicate for me? I guess what I was curious about for a lot of the audience for the show is like it's people like, hey, I want to start a side hustle. I want to get business going. So on the real estate side, if they wanted to get into self-storage, how could they approach it? And then in terms of this playbook that you're, it sounds like there's a service playbook that, that's working for you as well. I have an unfair advantage that took me 10 years to get. The playbook is simple, like find a way to make money go on the internet and talk about it and write really good copy so that people follow you who want to make money. And it turns out if you get an audience of people who want to make money, many of them have money. That's how we raised over $40 million from outside investors, almost all through my social media efforts. And they're also business owners. But me building this, all these eyeballs on Twitter took a lot of time because first I had to go and learn everything I know about business and start the companies. And nobody wants to follow somebody who doesn't actually do something in real life. That's kind of how I got my following. And then once you have the following, it's an unfair advantage to start businesses. I have a bunch of people who are into real estate and buy real estate who follow me online. And I start a company that offers services to real estate investors, engineered reports. That's a home run. How much money do you think you've made from building your like online brand if you had a ballpark it? It's really hard. At any given moment, there's no mark to market. Like I can't be like Elon Musk and say, oh, I own 17% of Tesla. So that's my net worth is so many billions. I don't have that mark to market. But I know what my real estate portfolio roundabout is worth close within you know five or 10 million bucks. We acquired $100 million worth of storage is probably worth $190 million. If we sold it for $190 million and we'd pay a lot of taxes, I would probably walk with between 10 and $25 million, one or 2 million a year in cash flow from courses, podcasts, consulting, and then another good chunk from business ownership outside of that. If someone wanted to get into self-storage and they had like 10,000 bucks and you know they're curious to get a part of it, like how would they approach it? Right now is a really, really tough time because every self-storage owner knows that their properties are worth a ton of money. I can't even find things to buy right now. What they say in business and real estate generally is a small deal and a big deal are the same amount of work. It's the only thing that changes is the number of zeros. The good thing about real estate is that there's a lot of zeros even on really small deals. <laughs> you, know, you can buy a self-storage facility for 400 grand and operate it a lot better. And three or four years later, it can be worth a million dollars. That's life-changing money for almost everybody. My playbook for acquiring a self-storage facility is you speak to brokers all the time and you look for a mislisted property on LoopNet or wherever. You know, if I had a couple hundred grand, I'd be looking in the half million dollar range. You go and buy a property for, you know, maybe try to get 10,000 square feet for half a million bucks, 50 bucks a foot, operate it well. Maybe it's worth a million bucks a couple of years later. I guess what I, I reflect on sometimes is like the purpose it gives you or not. Because sometimes I think about different businesses I could do or others could do. I'm like, you know, I don't wake up in the morning thinking about it. I think there's probably other areas for you that you explore. But I guess I was curious to hear from you. I've always been wondering. It's not just the worthless part. I just feel like, damn, do people have that much shit? Like, get rid of your shit, people. Like, okay, I get it. If you're traveling, like, there are circumstances. I get it. You're traveling, you're changing jobs, things, life circumstances. But watching them, like, you just got too much shit. I guess I, I'm curious how you, how you reflect on that. I talk to my friends in venture capital a lot. And what I love about venture capital is that it's literally a heroic effort. You're trying to change the world. You're trying to, you know, take what you want and the vision that you have and, like, imprint it on the world. And it's not easy. You're going to almost always fail. You're like a gladiator in, a, in an arena. But if you win, you literally change the world. 
there's something really noble about that. And there's something exciting and worthy about that mission. When somebody goes and raises money to start a new company and just innovate and, and bring the world forward. But then I think about, I was at a fundraiser this weekend for folks with special needs and a guy who owns two car dealerships in the Athens area was at this fundraiser. Over the past five years, he's donated over 5 million bucks to this charity. And he has done incredible things for these people. And he's built a wing on, side of the, on the building so they can you know, serve another 20 families every year. And that guy's just a, a dude. He's just a guy. He gets drunk. He hangs out. He's a goofball. He didn't do anything different. He didn't change anything. But he made a ton of money in a randomly normal way, selling people cars. I hope to do some of that. I give away some money. It's fun. But is being able to rent a self-storage facility on your phone in 10 minutes versus go sit in an office for 20 minutes and fill out paperwork. How different is that from being able to rent a, you know, get a taxi or an Uber on your phone in five minutes instead of calling a taxi by phone? You know, you can make arguments all over the place that what I do is similar and what I do is pretty worthless compared to some entrepreneurial endeavors. I used to make like Facebook games and I was like, yo, these I hate the people that play the games. I hate everyone else who makes games. I don't like playing these games. And uh I remember meeting some, and I was like, this is the most like non-meaningful work I've, I've done in a while, but it's like opportunistic, right? Which I don't always think is necessarily a bad thing, but I remember meeting someone, they're like, I love making games. I'm making people happy. I was like, huh, it's, you know, different strokes for, for folks, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I, I do try to recognize that. I guess I was just curious how you, how you think about it. You know, it sounds like for you, the money, money that you can then use in other places and probably maybe the business challenges. It's a means to an end. I mean, building a business, building an organization, hiring a bunch of people is inherently good for the economy. I'm a capitalist. I love entrepreneurship. I think anybody who starts a business and tries to make money without lying, stealing, or cheating is a good person. And we need more people like that. But yeah, self-storage facilities is definitely not an exciting, sexy, fun thing that people want to you know, spend their time glorifying. <laughs> Was this out of college self-storage? Who taught you or where did you learn? Nobody really taught me. I didn't come from a real estate family, but my dad encouraged me to get you know, a couple small businesses off the ground when I was young, a lawn care company, went to college, started a moving and storage company for students called Storage Squad. We operated that for 10 years, used the cash from that in 2015. We had about a half million bucks sitting aside and we built a self-storage facility from the ground up with some investor money. And that deal changed my life. It was a deal that we bought for built all in 2.9 million was our basis. And it's worth 8.5 now. We own it now. We bought out all of our partners. It's been a life-changing property. But yeah, it's just the next property came after that. And the next property came after that. We never really had a, a playbook. The way we raised money the very first time was wrong and you know, a unique structure. And we made a ton of mistakes. And after the first development, we tried to build three more properties and none of them worked out. Then we went and bought one finally in 2018. And that's when we realized that, hey, we just need to buy storage instead of build it. Two things. One, you have a book coming out. What's the, what was your question? I, know that I was, was going to ask you. Yeah, because you are working on your book. Where are you at in your process? I've written, worked on this book for, besides like coming up with material and figuring all that out now for about two and a half, three years. Mm -hmm. And then it's a little funny because the book doesn't come out till next year. You finished it and turned it in? I turned it in months ago, but then now I'm doing pretty extensive testing on the, the book cover and the subtitle. And so had a lot of iterations of it. And then we just started running ads to it today. Awesome. Oh, you're doing your AB ad test. Yeah. I just think it's kind of like, I think things are need to be in proportionality sometimes, which is like, hey, I spent three years writing this book. And then the, the publisher, they have, have been great. But they're like, hey, you have one week to choose the, the cover. And I'm like, dog, I need, I need a little more time. Like uh, to me, it's like, that is one of the major things people look at. Oh, yeah. It's a huge deal. I judge every book I see by its cover. Yeah, no, it's funny though. You have so many different opinions in life. Eventually, you have to make the call. <laughs> Has the experience been good and worth it for you and like helped you grow as an online you know, content producer? 100%. 
I think it's more the number one reason, because people are like, why don't you self-publish or these things? There is some ego with it. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm like, yeah, I wanted to have a, a book you can see on a shelf. I think the other thing that the number one reason I wanted to do a book was around the fact that it takes a long time. And you know, most books in 100 years will be ignored. Even Elon Musk in like 150 years won't be known. Maybe 200 years will be gone. And um, I just think I was like, man, I want to work on something that's going to take me three years. But I, I talked to like Tim Ferriss and some of these other guys I've known a long time. And they're like, it's a lot of work and it's hard. And I'm like, I don't know. I hired a, a guy to collaborate with who's a, like one of the best. I think he is the best writer uh, for business books. His name's Tal Roz. And uh, it was fun working with him. And it was interesting to like craft my ideas and then kind of similar to other people put out a lot of tweets to see like what resonated and okay, that goes in the book or take that out of the book. Uh, so I've loved the experience. I've had a, the, right now it's been a little more stressful because I, I don't have a book marketer. I've been trying to hire one. Besides that, overall, it's, it's been great. I, I definitely recommend it. Yeah, I'm pretty early in the journey, but the timeline was mind blowing to me. A guy who I like to make decisions really fast. I drive everybody in every company nuts because of how quick I want things to happen. The timeline was definitely an eye-opener when I interviewed uh, agents. Yeah, the timeline takes a while. I don't know, it's fun because now you see all these other books. You're like, wow, this is, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot more than you expect or when people think. What are you most excited about outside the book? Like, I know your business career has been amazing and what you've done is pretty awesome with AppSumo. Anything of note that you're kind of excited to tackle in your 40s? I'm trying to figure out this relationship stuff, which is really about me and understanding myself a little bit better. I think with business, my number one thing, which has been different and what I'm looking forward to is not doing new things. I'm sorry you were like speed is definitely one of my favorite things and like doing novelty and new stuff. I'm like, all right, let's launch this. Let's launch this. And right now what I'm more focused on is like, how do we do the things we're doing really, really well and not do new things? Yeah. A little counterintuitive to most people are like, okay, what's the next thing you're launching? It's like so common. It's called like in real estate, we call that being like a deal junkie, right? Yeah. We always want to be working on the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. When a lot of really successful entrepreneurs or real estate investors will get ahead of their skis and make poor decisions or just neglect property because they want to do different. They want to do the next deal, the next deal, the next deal. And all of a sudden the deal they bought 10 deals ago is in shambles. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think with AppSumo, we got lucky and fortunate that software and, and deals, I mean, everyone loves deals and that software it became a lot larger. But as an example, we, we were doing an analysis yesterday. I think we spent over $10 million paying affiliates in AppSumo last year, which is it's amazing. It might've actually, it might be more. But the interesting thing is you start looking into it and you're like, oh, wow, some of these was really great money spent. Some of it was bad money spent in terms of like, we didn't need to, or we, we overpaid. And so it's like, okay, we could save and make millions of dollars or reallocate it to other things in the business. And it's sexier or more fun to try to do new things versus like, this is stuff that works. So we're working on that kind of stuff. And what I'm excited about, just running the company better. That's the stuff that is really something I've taken away as well, man, is that the stuff that nobody's excited about and the stuff that there's no novelty in running your companies better is so valuable. Like you get in some of these big companies that are so profitable and you look at how they do things and you're like, wow, uh, you all haven't really innovated a ton, have you? This is just a really good business. <laughs> it's funny though. When you say it, I think about a relationship. It's like, I think we think that I need to maybe learn some of that lesson in my dating where it's like, it's not going to be some other new woman who's going to be the most perfect woman ever. Maybe it's just like finding the one you really, that's, that you like and then making that work better. Yeah, man. Get married, start building. What's really fun about a relationship is when you like my wife and I can sit and have coffee and we're looking at little versions of us run around our house. Like they're half me and half her. <laughs> and so when they act like assholes, we have nobody to blame but us. <laughs> Did she say that? She's like, this is from you. Oh, we, we point at each other all the time. Like he's stubborn just like you. And she's like, well, he's wild just like you. <laughs> well, it sounds like making decisions is important no matter what, just at least making the call. These long journeys, like tweeting for, you know, it sounds like you tweeted for a long time. We're on these deals for a long time. Even AppSumo. AppSumo is 13 years old. Wow, man. That's a that's 
you blink and then you realize that a decade goes by. I just feel like some of it doesn't seem real. Like it's chapters in a book and it's just like, it's a long process, which, but it, you know, it's like, we did that a long time ago. And I'm like, wow, it, it's a little amazing. I will say that there, the, the trade-off of building a family and having kids is that, and this is something that I know that really motivates you and it motivates me as well, is like building relationships with adults that are like-minded. I love to travel and spend really good quality time with people like me or just entrepreneurs or driven people or successful people, people that can make me better at something, right? And that is harder for a, a while when you have kids. Like literally 15 years of your life, you're not going to be doing a ton of popping on a plane and going somewhere to see a really good friend and being spontaneous. And the, the lack of spontaneity, it's definitely made me more money. Like being a father has made me more money because I can't hop on a plane and go play golf with Chris Powers in Dallas, but I can go upstairs to my computer and tinker inside my company. <laughs> so it's interesting. I do think the family thing, yeah, I'm still working through that. Well, in our next chapter of, of the book, we'll- uh, Just think about what you want, man. Think about what you want. Do those relationships with the kids fit in or would you rather be like literally free to build a ton of awesome relationships with people your age, like the rest of your life. I thought it was the family thing, honestly. And then it was, and even last weekend, I was with a bunch of people with kids and I was like, damn, dude, you're like, it's not cool to be 40 and like, like out there. I don't know. It was just interesting to be with all my friends who have kids. And it's like, yeah, that, that seems pretty rewarding too. Anyways, making the call. I know you got you got to rock. This is a, a longer discussion. I, I appreciate getting to know you, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. And I mean, just a disclaimer, like I, I don't know, I don't know what I'm doing, right? I've, I'm sure I'll lose money. Almost as big of an extent as I've been been lucky enough to make some money over the last couple of years, but I'm just a dude who didn't care about failing and didn't care what people thought. So that's the takeaway, I guess. Thank you, bro. All right, brother. Thanks, buddy. That is a wrap. I hope you loved the episode as much as we did making it for you. Go check out Nick on Twitter at Sweaty Startup. Next, text a friend you love him. Yo, man, let's go walk our dogs together. And before we go, tweet at me at Noah Kagan and let me know what you thought of this episode. Also, remember to go subscribe to my email list. I put my best tip into a single short email each and every week and have exclusive content for email subscribers. That's okdork.com. Go to okdork.com. Finally, a couple of shots to the amazing team members. Thank you to Jason at podcasttech.com for making these episodes sound so damn nice and clean on your eardrums. Thank you to Jeremy, Mitchell, George, Cam, Sasa, Nikki, and Jen from the Dork Team for all the magic y'all do. And shout out to the marketing team, Celeste, Jordan, and Lindsay at AppSumo. They have put out some really awesome ads for Monthly 1K featuring Sam Parr, how it's actually really helped him get started. Scanning Marson, who became a millionaire from the course. I was like, yo, bro, kick back some. And just a lot of other people, plus Nick Christensen for the idea on the Sam Park clip. Y'all done amazing work. Thank you so much. Have a friendly day. What's your favorite board game? Dude, seriously, tell me. I really need to know this.